And today's scripture comes from Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord.
Amen. That was a very powerful song. I thank you, uh, Muse, for coming out. I think it was Junsuk's birthday, and uh, he really wanted to do a song for us and to worship God. Uh, let's just give him one more hand for sharing that song with us. We are on a sermon series called Killjoys, the seven killjoys, formerly known as the deadly sins. We call them killjoys because all sin is deadly. The seven deadly sins as we know them as are pride, envy, anger, grief, greed, sloth, gluttony, and lust. They're not so-called because they're just any kind of sin. Uh, we, we, we have reason to believe that these seven sins represent a slew of other sins. They are root of many other sins. They are considered the source of species of sin. At its essence, what we are saying that sin is the declaration that something other than God is more to be desired than God himself. And today... We are on anger. If you are a Korean man listening, then this should relate to you very much. But I think it should relate to all of us. We are having our first basketball game, and I think it's very apt that we talk about anger on the day we play basketball. We have many run-ins in our past when we had our intra-church uh, basketball league and it's just so interesting we're starting we had all these schedule changes and we finally started last week we didn't want to start because it was valentine's day or whatever it was and uh today we wanted to start ba our basketball league and today's anger i think god is amazing god is good and so today we are on anger why are you so angry that's what God is asking. Why are you so angry? Perhaps God's question to the perturbed Jonah is something we all need to hear. Why are you so angry? If you, know, if you don't know the story of Jonah, Jonah had a call from God to go out to Nineveh to preach the word, to have them repent and instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah went the opposite way, to Tarshish. And this is a very familiar children's story that many people know and they remember. So instead of going this way, Jonah went that way. Instead of going east, Jonah went west. And because of that, he was thrown overboard from a ship. A great fish, as the Bible called it, swallows him up. He repents in chapter 2. He gets spit out by the fish. And it's, it's, it's an interesting coincidence because where he got spit out, they worshipped a fish god. So the people that was probably seeing this, uh, they were probably amazed that a fish, out of fish, a man came out. But um, he goes to Nineveh and he does preach it. He says, uh, repent, otherwise in 40 days you're going to die. I think that's all he really said. Repent. 40 days you're going to die. Imagine someone came up here on stage 
and he said or she said, repent, or in 40 days you're just going to be destroyed. And then he or she just walked off. But after Jonah did this, the people repented. The king put on ashes sackcloth, even like the cattle apparently had to show some kind of form of repentance. And now here we are. And this is where I think is the great pinnacle of the story. You know, we all remember the whole, like, instead of going to Nineveh, following God's command, we go to Tarshish, and people have that as their testimony. Oh, this was a call in God's, God's call in my life. I was supposed to go to Nineveh, but I went to Tarshish. I was supposed to serve God, but I was kind of running away. And then we see he got swallowed up by a great fish, so that's like a nice children's story. But number, chapter 4 sometimes gets lost. And chapter 4, I think, is what it leads up to. Nineveh to Tarshish. Big fish. And then chapter 4. What's so important about chapter 4 is that God actually relented from condemning, destroying Nineveh. You have, to, you have to remember all this in light of the historical background. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel. It actually oppressed Israel. So people from Israel did not like Nineveh. And yet, God relents and doesn't bring disaster to Nineveh. And that makes Jonah unhappy. But unhappy is not the right word completely. The word is angry. And this is important because all this that led up to chapter 4 shows us the true motives behind what Jonah made unhappy what made Jonah unhappy this is the reason why Jonah tried to run away the reason why he went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh the reason why he got swallowed up by the fish the conflict of this whole narrative comes down to chapter 4 and this is what he says this is what i tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you are a gracious God and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This is what the story of Jonah leads up to. Climax is here by showing us that Jonah didn't want to preach repentance to the Ninevites because he didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to know God's mercy. And when they did, it made him angry. It's the emotion that pulls off and reveals the things that are truly happening inside of Jonah's hearts. And it's the emotion that pulls off and reveals the things that are happening in our hearts. Anger historically made this seven deadly sins list because for centuries, and especially the Korean men, witnessed its destructive power and influence. But understanding anger is much more complicated than just looking at its effects. It's not simply just an emotion that causes chaos, but it's indicative of something deeper, underlying, that we have to look. It's a crucial work that we need to start, and we need to start digging deep and finding more about this root sin about anger. Once we know that anger is exhibitive of something deeper 
something darker, we realize that it, this idea and this thought isn't exclusively Christian. In fact, a non-Christian writer, Marsha Cannon, explains in her book, The Gift of Anger, you become angry when you define reality as unacceptable and you, you feel unable to easily correct it, tolerate it, or let it go. The context of this anger, this reality, is defined by you. Anger is symptomatic of something else. Circumstances that we feel, that we deem is unacceptable. Which means that anger is innately reactionary. So if we were to gain insight into anger, we have to look at the unacceptable, the things that we deem are unacceptable, the unacceptable things that which anger responded to or which we responded to in anger. Anger, like pride, is so widespread, we can even look all the way to the beginning in Genesis where Cain reacts so badly to the rejection of his sacrifice by God. In Genesis 4, 5, it says Cain was very angry and his face fell. How did God react to that? He asked Cain a central question, which was asked of Jonah too, that we must pay attention to. He said, why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? God wants us to find the root of this anger. So there are some things before we find the root of this anger that we need to know about anger. And one number one, anger is so widespread that some say it's the first sin we actually commit. The shrill of an angry, upset baby is something quite amazing to behold. It's a scary thought that if a baby or an infant had the strength of a full-grown human being, what that baby would do to you. Because anger goes beyond age. And I want to say anger goes beyond culture. It's beyond just Korean men. I mean, I can just only speak as a Korean man what anger is in the culture and what it did for me growing up watching it in every area of my life. But anger goes beyond age and anger goes beyond culture. Potiphar, when he became angry, he thought that Joseph tried to seduce his wife. It says he was very angry. The literal Hebrew word for that anger is that his face burned red. You could actually see, you can see the picture when people were saying this, you can see steam coming out of his face. And this is, you can see this now in American cartoons too. Number two, anger, like all the other killjoys, is deadly, but it can be argued that it is the most dangerous. Uninhibited expressions of anger can literally kill somebody. We have a saying in this church that people, when they're upset, give each other the look of death. It's that expression for reasons, not just for no reason. It's also known as throwing daggers with your eyes or giving the stink eye. And here we see that anger is linked to murder. 
a capital crime. Jesus says, you have heard that you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. In 1 John 3.15, John would write, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Murder and anger are on the same continuum as Jesus even considers them equal. Everyone would agree that when angry, premeditated harm to another should be punished. Everyone would agree with that. But there are times when there is no time. There are times when there is no time to even premeditate an action. That's from anger. There's a Chinese proverb that says the fastest horse cannot catch a word spoken in anger. Unbridled anger can be so spontaneous, so uncontrollable that it leads people to commit crimes they would have never imagined themselves doing. You know what we call that in the United States? We call that crimes of passion. When someone is so inebriated by their emotions, by their anger, it would make them or lead them to make the ultimate foolish decision. Inebriation isn't just from drugs. We see that we can be inebriated. We can have our senses dulled or blocked from reasoning by this strong emotion. It can be considered the most dangerous of sins. Number three, what we have to also realize about anger is that not all anger is sin. Anger distinguishes itself from all the other seven killjoys in this one significant way. And this is what we have to remember. God also gets angry. If you don't believe me, just read the Old Testament. His anger is all over these pages. In Psalm, even Psalm 7, chapter 7, verse 11, it says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And to those that feel the anger is only for the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus is so nice. He's so loving. He just like kind of, you know, says, hey, how are you? And about, that's about it. Jesus was angry too. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, he will look at the Pharisees with anger, grieving in his heart the hardness of their hearts. In fact, it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 that shows us that it is Jesus who will come with divine wrath and anger to execute judgment on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if God gets angry and God never sins, then anger expressed rightly is also not a sin. So what's this all mean? Is anger a sin? Anger not a sin? What are you talking about? What's important to search, not just for the root of anger, but in searching for the root of anger, the motivations of our anger. Canon would continue to write, your anger comes up automatically when you need help to deal with a perceived threat or in seemingly tough situations that you don't feel powerful enough to handle calmly and easily. That doesn't describe God. He is all-powerful and he's never helpless. He's the one that helps the helpless, but it may be describing you. 
it may be describing us. Human beings react from a far more vulnerable position. Jonathan Parnell writes, Both God and man experience anger, but it's the cause of anger, not the experience of it, that qualifies it as sinful or righteous. It's the cause of anger, not the experience of it, that qualifies it as sinful or righteous. So what's the real question? We go back and it's poignant. It's perfect. When God asks us a question, it's so perfect. The real question is, why are you so angry? Tim Keller would go on to explain that anger is actually a form of love. Anger is a response to whatever or whoever threatens someone or something that we love, that we care about. Parnell would also write, anger is love in motion to protect the object of that love. Do you, know what, do you want to know what you're angry about? Why are you so angry? Then we need to look at the object of our love. You see, anger and love go hand in hand. And this is how it does. We need to look at the object of our love. When anger is sinful, isn't it because our love has become distorted? Human beings are fundamentally lovers. This is why death is such a horrible tragedy. It stops us from loving. If we are fundamentally lovers, then we are deep in love with something, even if we're not aware of it. I always make fun of college students when they come back. I said, who do you like? Basically, who are you in love with? Like, oh, nobody this time. It's like, liar. Tell me who you like. But... Honestly, because we are fundamentally people who love, even if we're not aware of it, we're in love with something. And this is what we need to understand. Why are you so angry is connected with what are you in love with? I just have one more quote for Tim, from Tim Keller. He's someone I enormously respect but he writes there is nothing wrong with getting angry to a degree if someone slights your reputation but why are you 10 times a hundred times more angry about someone slighting your reputation than some horrible injustice being done to people in another part of the world because if you what because if what you're really looking to for use for your significance and security if that is people's approval or a good reputation or status or something like that, then when anything gets between you and the thing you have loved, you become implacably angry. You have to have it. You're over the top. You just can't shrug it off. You can't let it go. In the spring of 19, no, I'm sorry, in the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game, just part of the season. But what happened that day was anything but routine. The Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, 
all the players from both teams jumped out and joined the brawl. Not only that, the warfare quickly spread to all the stands. Among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the stands, and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings. Anger is not only destructive, but it's contagious. We need to look at the truth behind why we get angry. Even if we think it's a normal instance of why we get angry. When you get snubbed in social media, you don't get the likes that you really want. That might be a little childish to some, perhaps. But to some, it can honestly be a thing. And I don't think we should judge because some of us, we get cut off in traffic. And then steam starts to rise out of our heads as well. When you don't get recognition for the work you did, your idea gets shot down in the workplace. You get underappreciated, you believe, by your spouse or your partner. Isn't it because we love ourselves a bit too much? Isn't it because our love is distorted? So finally, we need to share, how do we fight it then? How do we fight anger? We see here and we see the wisdom that is given to us in the passages of the Bible and especially in Jonah chapter 4. Get at it early. When you face something that is making your anger grow, stop and ask yourself. And hear the voice of God asking as well, why are you so angry? What have you to be angry about? When you teach or discipline children the real reason you should get angry, we realize it's for their good. If there are any teachers and parents, we see that if you do it out of a concern for yourself, that will affect the child in a negative way. But if it is out of concern for them, we see that it is a controlled disciplinary anger that is instilled within love for them. But if it's not, I can guarantee it always backfires. My anger for the people that I need to discipline must be reflected in my love for them. When I stepped into a classroom or sanctuary, my first question has to be, or even if you're a parent and you step home and something happened, your first question has to be, why are you so angry? Who am I loving right now? Who do I truly care about? Get at it early. Number two, step back and breathe. Have someone else look at it. Sometimes when that happens, we see how ridiculous it is. When God asks Jonah, he made this plant, it provided relief, and he took away the plant, and Jonah was so angry. He's like, why are you so angry? Do you have any right to be angry? And he goes, yeah, I am so angry, I just want to die. 
when you take a step back and you listen to yourself sometimes, we see that it can be quite ridiculous. Take a step back and breathe. Number three, and probably the most important point, is that anger is not always sinful. So it must be measured. It must be done with a lot of love. But the way to do it is to remember and imitate the anger of God. We said this before. Anger is love in motion to protect the object of our love. You know, God's anger always flows from a pure and holy motive. It's demonstrated in his perfect love. And guess what? It's rarely the case in our lives. So what we need to know, what provokes God to wrath and anger? Isn't it injustice for the poor? Isn't it because we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, but rather what we try to do is take advantage of them. We think we are better than them. We have pride over them. We envy them. Isn't that what's keeping glory from God who deserves our praise and worship? Jonah is mentioned in Luke 11 when Jesus says, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus' anger is towards the wickedness of this generation. But his anger was manifest in his love for us. His love led him to the cross. So that we would not suffer from these sins, from these killjoys. Things that destroy our joy. But he gave us the sign of Jonah by dying on the cross and being buried for three days only to rise again so that our joy may be complete. The only way to be free from these sins, these killjoys, is to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. How do you conquer sin? How do you conquer anger in your life? How do you conquer the feeling of helplessness and the feeling that this reality is not right and you want to right it, but you are not powerful enough so the emotion starts to spring up and well up and starts to grow in you? How do you conquer that? Turn from sin and follow Christ. Repent. Admit that you are weak, but acknowledge that God is strong. Only then, when you have your Lord as Jesus Christ, will you be able to conquer all sin because he has already conquered all sin and death for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to lift up this time to you. This is not an easy subject. 
And this is a subject that is pervasive in our generation, in our families, in our workplaces, in all the areas of our lives. But Lord God, we recognize to you now that this sin is a destructive sin that destroys not only our future, but the relationships that we have with one another. And we want to lift this up to you. We want to turn from the distorted love that is a root of this sin. And we want to give our love to you. We want to give our heart to you. And we ask God that you would change in us the things that were wrong. Renew our minds and our hearts. Refresh our souls. Give us peace when the world cannot give it. Lord, we turn to you. We turn to you and away from this distorted love. We turn to you asking that you would save us so that we will be free from this debilitating emotion. This kill joy. Let's take time to reflect on what we have heard today, the word that was given to us through Jonah. And let's pray that we would be able to lift up our hearts to God at all times, in all situations. That we would acknowledge our weakness, but hold on to the hope that he is our strength. And he will be able to conquer anything, any sin in your life. Is there anger in your life? And there's a reason behind it. God wants to heal you. Lift that heart up to the Lord and have him minister to your heart. Let's take time to pray.